You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook, where we post all of our episodes, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how, and any time you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 today is the start of our off-season report card series. And we start with the outside linebackers. I think this is the position group that has got the most attention over the course of the last year or two. It's going to be the position group that gets the most attention in the off-season in terms of the draft, in terms of free agency, and everything, especially Packer fans, want to see done with this football team. It all centers around improving this pass rush. And I think you have to go back to a year ago when Green Bay decided not to make any major moves to improve the outside linebacker group. Now, the pass rush is not just the outside linebackers, and Mike Patton proved that. He was awesome at creating slot blitzes, double A-gap pressures, where multiple guys are coming up the middle or at least showing that they're going to come up the middle. We saw interior pass rush from Kenny Clark, from Mike Daniels, from Dean Lowry, from Tyler Lancaster, and a host of Packer defenders, and there was the breakout season for Kyler Fackrell. But what we didn't see is any significant move made to bolster the edge rush. Muhammad Wilkerson was signed, but he is not a true edge rusher, although he was surely going to play some sub package where he comes off the edge. There were going to be plenty of times where he was going to twist or stunt and he was going to be matched up one-on-one with an offensive tackle. So this was the team that the Packers were left with, and it's not a particularly impressive group. So let's start with what we saw from them in 2018. We just did our report cards on Acme Packing Company. And that was sort of the impetus for this series last year was I I was going through and grading all these position groups, and I thought, well, this would be a fun series for the podcast to do. So I gave the outside linebacker group a C-. And the only reason it's not fully an F is Kyler Fackrell. Now, when you look at this team's sack rate, you say, well, the pass rush actually wasn't that bad. And that's true. The pass rush wasn't that bad. In fact, the pass rush was pretty good, all things considered. But it was pretty good because Mike Pettin was really good, especially early in the season when he had all of his defensive backs at scheming up pressure, scheming up free rushers. That was what the pass rush was. They didn't have guys who could just line up and go beat their man one-on-one. And we saw what this did to the defense later in the year when you lose some of these starting cornerbacks 
You lose some of these safeties. You lose your interior pass rush. Mike Daniels is hurt. Kenny Clark gets hurt. You can't be as creative. You've got backups. You've got rookies. You can't do the same kinds of things you can do when you have quality, experienced players. Clay Matthews was an F. He was an F. And Nick Perry was an F. That's, I mean, this is, this is the NFL. They were bottom quartile players. In fact, uh, Pro Football Focus has this metric that they call pass rush productivity. And basically, they put together all of the stats, so the, the pure stats, hits, hurries, and sacks. And they count those up and they say, okay, here are, here's what you're producing in the stat sheet. And here is how often you rush the passer. So how often are you making impact plays when you rush the passer? So this is a rate stat because it accounts for how often you're actually doing it. So if you have 100 pass rush snaps and you get to the quarterback in some form or fashion 20 times, that is going to be better than someone who gets to the quarterback 25 or 30 times but has 400 pass rush snaps. It's a much better way of measuring how effective your pass rush is, at least on a per snap basis. So 109 players qualified for 20% of the, of the highest number of pass rush snaps. 109 players. Clay Matthews and Nick Perry tied for 85th out of 109 in pass rush productivity. They were terrible. Reggie Gilbert, 70th out of 109 in pass rush productivity. Clay Matthews is a free agent. Reggie Gilbert is a free agent. They're done. They're done. And and if you want to make the case that Reggie Gilbert should be kept on the team at the at the minimum or something close to it because, you know, he knows the system and he can be somewhat useful, I would understand that and and I think if you're the Packers, you have to consider it especially if you're going to if you're going to cut Nick Perry, which we're going to get to in a second, but Kendall Donerson has some skills, some tools. We don't know what he can be. Uh Reggie Gilbert, we know what he is at this point. He's been on the team long enough. He's just not a contributor. He is not even a rotational outside linebacker. We thought he could be. He proved this year in a, in a defensive scheme that should make his life easier that he's not. So Clay Matthews is likely finished in Green Bay. Reggie Gilbert likely finished in Green Bay. What's the situation with Nick Perry? He was hurt again. And he is due a considerable sum of money in 2019. So the best option for the Packers is to designate him as a June 1 cut. And what that does is it free up, frees up nearly $11 million in cap space. Now that savings, savings doesn't actually become available to the team until June 2nd. So you can designate someone, but the cap hold remains in place. So they can't go out and spend that money. Now what they can do is release Perry now, understand that he's going to be not on the team, and now you go forward accordingly with aggressively attacking free agency, with going into the draft, knowing you need an outside linebacker, and then you can use that money to sign uh, whether it is street free agents, whether it is your draft class, that money you get from cutting Nick Perry after June 1st 
can be used in the future. And then if you don't spend all the money you have in free agency, you have this extra money, you can do an extension, you can you can eat into that cap space, and you can also roll that cap space over. That money can be used again the following off season. So this is this is not hard. All right. The outside linebackers were terrible. They were terrible. And the, the only thing that the Packers have to decide is not if they have to start over with this position group. It is how far they have to go to start over. Are they willing to say, all right, Nick Perry, we have this money that we're going to pay you. And we'd rather, much like they, the decision they made with Jimmy Graham, we'd rather have you on this team and, and pay you the money we've decided we're going to pay you versus not having you on this team and, and having to go with all new players. I don't, I don't think that's the prudent decision. I don't think that's the way this team should go. But assigning someone for a June 1 cut is not something this team has done. It's not, it's not really in their DNA as an organization. So it would, be, it would be a departure from their modus operandi. That doesn't mean that it's not the prudent decision because, frankly, I think it is. The only thing that was good about this group was Kyler Fackrell. And I mentioned that pass rush productivity stat. He was 31st in pass rush productivity with 11 sacks. He had one QB hit and nine hurries. Now, that is an unsustainable success rate. So if you look at most of the double-digit sack defenders, they had a bunch more QB hits. They had a bunch more hurries. If you have 11 sacks and one QB hit, that means of the 12 times you made contact with the quarterback, you got the sack 11 of 12. That is just not a thing that you're going to see year in and year out. You look at, at, at someone like D Ford, he had 15 sacks. He also had 17 quarterback hits. That's a ton of hits on the quarterback. It, it usually... Von Miller, 16 sacks, 10 more quarterback hits. Demarcus Lawrence, 13 sacks, 11 quarterback hits. In a lot of ways, this season is a little bit fool's goldy. Now, he, he, he earned those sacks. He had some good pass rush wraps against the Rams, against the Seahawks. I mean, we saw him do some good things. He's definitely better than he used to be. He is a useful player. Right now, today, he is the only useful player, a guy that can be relied upon moving forward because Nick Perry, when he's healthy, is useful. He's just not, you cannot rely on him given his injury history. And we have no idea what Kendall Donerson is. He's an incomplete. I think Kyler Fackrell is probably a B, a B plus player. Gilbert Matthews and Perry are Fs and Donerson is an incomplete. This Fackrell's breakout season is the only thing that keeps this group from needing a full-on teardown, restart, blow-up. All right, this is, the, this is where the fun really starts because pass rusher, edge rusher, is where Packer fans, I think, are most excited to talk about the 2019 NFL Draft. And when you look at the top of this edge class, and we're going to focus on the first-round players in this class, at least the guys that I have watched and studied and dug into, and the players that I think make sense for Green Bay to target at the top of the draft. We are certainly 
going to look at guys who make sense in the second, third, and beyond. Uh, but I think given the fact that the Packers have two first-round picks, and it wouldn't be altogether surprising to see them draft two of these guys, I think we have to talk about these players as they stand in the first round in particular. So Nick Bosa at the top of the draft. That's it. Josh Allen close behind. Those guys are not going to be around at 12. There is a cluster of guys after that that I think are the prescribed targets at 12. They are Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, Cleland Farrell from Clemson, and Ja'Kai Polite at Florida. I don't think Brian Burns is worth the 12th overall pick. I don't think Rashawn Gary from Michigan is worth the 12th overall pick. And and from at least what I've gathered based on what I have watched, again, I haven't studied, so I I don't want to speak in any sort of absolutes here. The other names that are out there, Zach Allen, Jalen Ferguson, DeAndre Walker, Charles Omenahu, uh, the guy from Old Dominion whose name I will not attempt to pronounce at this juncture, wouldn't be prudent, not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> those guys are not in the mix at 12. And we, and we can say that pretty emphatically. They may be at 30, Jalen Ferguson especially, an absolute monster at Louisiana Tech. And, and has been getting some late first-round buzz, could be someone that is ready to contribute right away, could come in and, and, and fits the bill of the, the athletic profile the Packers like in a pass rusher. So that is someone that, that I think we can talk about down the road. But there is this cluster now. Sweat, feral, polite. I think Sweat is very underrated right now. He is the prototypical body for the position, and, and these measurements are subject to change, but officially 6'5", 246, and just looks like a creative player in Madden. Just He is on the all-bus team. He gets off the bus and you go, that is a football player in pads. He just looks like a football player, and he is yoked up. He's strong. He uses his hands really, really well, plays with great technique, Great leverage, great motor, and he was really good at the Senior Bowl. We're talking about a double-digit sack guy each of the last two seasons, and he is someone that I think can grow. Even though, you know, I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for twitched-up edge rushers, guys who are quick off the line of scrimmage. They win with burst and explosiveness, and he doesn't. And I've been trying to fix this blind spot because I I don't want to miss on these guys. I was a little bit lower on Bradley Chubb because he won a little bit more with technique. There was a little bit more nuance there. I was not as high on Joey Bosa. And that seems crazy now, right? That seems insane. But he did not fit the athletic profile of the kind of guys I generally like. So let let me just read what I, cuz I go through for those of you who are new to this process with me I have I've been doing this for a long time uh watching these guys studying them talking to people about them taking notes watching them myself and basically going through the process that NFL teams would go through now my process is not nearly as thorough as theirs um because they get to actually interview the kid they get to interview the coaches I'm doing my best cobbling together what I can, but but Sweat 
is the guy that I think would be at the top of my list, uh, not just for Green Bay, but in general in that range. And I also think of this of this group of three, he is the most ready to come in and help the Packers in year one. Here's what I had, had to say about him. Sweat is a stud. He dominated at the Senior Bowl, which is just an extension of what he put on tape at Mississippi State. Sweat can win with power, with technique, and with effort. Effort. He's not a twitched-up edge, but he's got the prototypical frame, the strength, awareness, and polish you look for in a day-one starter. Three, four teams may wonder how different he'll look standing up. We've seen some power rushers rushers struggle with that transition, but Sweat is so uniquely gifted. Mississippi State even rushed him as a stand-up blitzer in the A-gap. He already has the tools. Guys like Polite, Burns and Farrell need to develop to reach their potential. That doesn't mean he has no upside. With more creativity as a pass rusher and some added strength, he'll maximize his frame and his hand usage to become a force. I think he is a top 10 player. I watched him destroy Dalton Reisner on a couple reps. He beat Jonah Williams on a couple reps. He went up against top competition every week in the SEC and was one of the most productive players in the country. I absolutely loved watching his tape. It was a joy to watch, and I think he is an underrated name to look out for. If he tests well at the Combine, I think he could be right in that range where Green Bay is looking at 12. Uh, Lance Zerline, who does the scouting reports for NFL.com, said after the Senior Bowl, Swesh should be a top 10 pick. So we'll see if he's even available at that position. Now, there's also Cleland Farrell, who has been also getting top 10 buzz, uh, was a dominant force at Clemson for, for several seasons, could have declared after last year. In fact, it was a little bit of a surprise that he didn't. Uh, but he had a huge redshirt junior season last year, 11 and a half sacks, 20 tackles for loss, and doesn't turn 22 until after the draft, which is, which is the age with these guys. You want that upside. Here's what I said about Fer- Farrell. Farrell is a big, powerful pass rusher with upside who got better every season at Clemson and really dominated in 2018. Of all the studs on that defensive front at Clemson, he was the guy who consistently saw double teams and it didn't matter. Farrell's ability to counter to the inside might just be the best in the class and his spin move is evolving. He has such good length and if he got a little stronger in his upper body, he would be even more powerful than he already is. The three-year impact rusher flashes heavy hands and can bully back offensive tackles and he can get even better, which is a scary thought for opposing offenses. He's not in the class with Bosa and Allen, but he's in the neighborhood. His battle with Jonah Williams from Alabama was instructive as well. He handled the best offensive tackle in the draft and beat him multiple times to make plays in the backfield. He's really, really good. Top 10 prospect. If he's there at 12, you take him. And, and this is not, you know, I haven't watched every other position group, but it is hard to imagine there being other players with, with, with sweat and, and Farrell in particular, because I think they're both top eight-ish prospects. It's hard to imagine there being someone else on the board, short of Jonah Williams or Josh Allen or Nick Bosa for some reason, available at 12, that would make me more interested in picking than these two guys. And that's irrespective of, you know, 
every uh, the other positions. I don't, I almost don't care who it is because those other guys just aren't as good and they're not as potentially impactful for the Packers as these guys are. Now it's a little I think we we start polite is just a tick below these guys and you and you know. I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I freaking love Jakai Polite who doesn't even turn 21 until March 19 and a half tackles for loss last year, 11 sacks in 2018. He is really fun to watch and and can dominate games at times. They took over a number of games. In fact, dominated Mississippi State against Montez Sweat. If I say Josh Sweat in this podcast or any other podcast, ignore it. It's Montez. Josh Sweat was a prospect. Last year went to Florida State. I'm getting old. I'm sorry. So... <laughs> The, the thing, I think the last the last note I wrote here is not always a play-to-play impact guy, but he's a walking splash play. This is the thing about Polite. He, he isn't there yet. He just isn't quite there yet. But he can get there. He needs to get stronger. He needs a little bit more experience. But he, when he gets his life together as a player, he can be really, really good. Here's what I had to say about Polite. Polite is a first-step explosive pass rusher with lateral quickness and mega juice. He's not as bendy as you'd want from someone his size and has to get stronger both to shed blocks and be stouter against the run, but he's on your team because he can make that one play, that strip sack that can change the game. Polite is still just 20 years old, coming off one season of productivity with some added strength, size, and polish. He has the athletic tools coming off the edge to be a monster. He's just not quite there yet. He isn't in the same class as Harold Landry was last year in terms of a player right this minute, but is younger and healthier with a ton of upside, so ultimately compares favorably with him as a prospect in terms of quality. I thought Harold Landry was the 10th best player in the draft of this year. Right now, I have Ja'Kai Polite at 11, which means of those guys, I would like Sweat the most, Farrell, and then Polite. This other group of guys, you look at Brian Burns. At 30, we can have a conversation. Rashawn Gary at 30, I'd wait. I'd wait. And then, I have, like I said, I haven't studied Jalen Ferguson, but that's another name I want to get to, I want to watch, because he would be potentially appealing at 30. The more I look at this draft and the more that, I, that it breaks down and the more that I learn about these prospects... I do think tight end at 30 is a possibility, but I also think there's a there's another good possibility, a pass rusher at 12, and then a trade down at 30. Acquire picks, because there's going to be teams that want to come up for a quarterback, that want to come up for a receiver, that want to come up for a pass rusher that Green Bay already got. And so there's there's definitely some possibility there. I also think linebacker, Devin Bush, Mac Wilson, those are guys that could be available at 30 that could help this team right away and move this team forward. All right, before we go, let's talk free agents because I do think uh, edge is going to be a position that Green Bay attacks in free agency. So there are a bunch of names that have that have come up, big names. And so I, I put this, I broke this down into three categories. Big names unlikely to be available but end up in my Twitter mentions anyway. <laughs> Potential marks, and then value plays. So the big names unlikely to be available and stop adding me about. 
Demarcus Lawrence, Jadavion Clowney, D. Ford, Preston Smith, Trey Flowers, Frank Clark. There's no reason those those teams are not going to pay up for premium edge rushers. If they are available, sure, go, 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 go. I think Zadarius Smith also belongs in this conversation, although a little bit more under the radar, not a name that pops out on the Ravens, but he was really good last year, 17th in pass rush productivity per pro football focus. So at 26 years old, I don't see any reason why a draft pick would not be returned for the Baltimore Ravens, but if he's available, go get him. So that leaves, I think, a four-ish player, four and a half. I have five names down here. But I think it. I think it's really four and a half names, um, because I think Dante Fowler is probably going to go back to the Rams. I think that's going to be their priority now. Their cap is going to be strapped, but given the way that he's played and given what they need at edge, they they sent a pick for him. They went all in to win the Super Bowl this year. So maybe they say we want, if they win the Super Bowl, they say, well, we won it. Dante Fowler, twenty five. You can walk. He made impact plays in the playoffs. He made impact plays in the second half of the season. And they would be wise to pay him. But it's going to take $10, $11, 12000000 million to sign him. Do they want to do that? Could Green Bay? Potentially. This is a former top 10 pick with pedigree. I think another name that, that's going to be on the list. Brandon Graham, uh, the Eagles, 30 years old. Spot track has his estimated value, 158 million. That's a lot. And you're probably going to have to give them a four-year contract. So then you're talking about, let's just for round numbers, say 16 million. You're looking at four years, 64, and you're going to have to pay him, you know, 16 million. Even if you're only paying him 12 or 14 million in his year 33, year 34 season, how is that going to age? How is that contract going to look in three, four years? I just... I don't love that, but that is a name that that has come up. I think the names that intrigue me the most, Shaq Barrett. We talked about Anthony Barr, so I don't I don't want to go into a full blown explanation there. I did almost a, practically a whole podcast about it. So I mean, I think the reasons for for signing him are clear, and I don't think the obstacles that a lot of Packer fans bring up with him are truly obstacles. Uh, the The name that I like here a lot is Shaq Barrett, and. He is a free agent, Denver Broncos. They have Von Miller. They have Bradley Chubb. They do not need Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray are both free agents. It is fair to wonder if they let both walk, but uh, if Barrett is available, Trek has his estimated market value $7.4 million a year. That is a number. That is a number. And that's something that I think you have to consider 26 years old and just as a guy who can go out and give you eight sacks if he plays, you know, 300 pass rush snaps, he can just be solid. Just be solid. That would be such an upgrade for this defense. Just be solid. Just be a, a little bit better than decent. The other name that I that I think, and he's the, he's the half, Cameron Wake. I don't know what Miami's going to do with him. I don't know if he wants to play in Miami anymore. I don't know if he'd come play in cold weather. I don't know if he wants to chase a Super Bowl title, but he was second in pass rush productivity last year. Second. He's still really freaking good. And if he would come up on a one-year deal, one-year 10, one-year 12, 
even one year 14 or two years 25 and nearly all of it is in the first year, hey, sign me up for that. I mean, I think that would be a a stroke of genius if Brian Gutekinds could make that work. And then the value name, there's just really one for me. Uh, Zadarius Smith would be in that range if he hadn't had such a good season this year. Uh, If Baltimore does let him walk, I do think that's a name that, that belongs in this category. Although I think teams would be smart to pay him. I just, I don't think his... His profile is high enough to expect a huge contract, but the other name on here is Marcus Golden from Arizona, and I don't know why he doesn't get a little bit more pub, a little bit more respect for for the work he does. He was 35th in pass rush productivity last season, just a little bit under what Kyler Fackrell was. He is athletic. He's got that outside linebacker body. He's got that outside linebacker experience, and he can create on his own. You don't need to scheme him perfectly free for him to make an impact. Uh, he plays with attitude. He plays with edge. And I'm sure he wants to win after what's happened in Arizona the last few years. So he is someone who I, I don't think it would cost a ton. I think he probably has a similar market value to Shaq Barrett, seven, eight. And if they want to get a guard, a linebacker, and a safety, those are the range of contracts, six, seven, eight million dollars that you're going to want to hand out because you you do want to go be able to go after a big fish like Anthony Barr if you can. And maybe they sign multiple. Maybe you sign, sign Anthony Barr at 12, you sign Marcus Golden at 8, and you know you, you go from there. But I think with this, with this draft class the way it is, you can sign one of these guys and say, okay, right now our team is Kyler Fackrell, it's free agent X, it's Reggie Gilbert because he's here, and we can get him on a veteran minimum contract, and it is you know, maybe a, a June one guy, a guy who gets cut in training camp, and it's our first round pick. But I, I think when you look at the, the, the everything that's going to go into this offseason, I think they sign someone, and I think they draft two guys. I think they double up. I think you see first and maybe the fourth round, or first and maybe they go one and 44, and you get someone else at 30 in the middle. They go one, and they take someone in the third round, or they take two guys in the fourth round, something like that. If they come out of this draft with two or three edge rushers, don't be surprised at all. All right, we'll be back next week and it'll be February. It'll be February next week, which means the combine is coming fast. It means Valentine's Day is coming fast. So get your gifts if you haven't already. And we'll be back at it once again, four days, Monday through Thursday. Uh, January was an awesome awesome month record-breaking month for locked on packers you guys absolutely crushed it since i took over the show uh we have grown the audience basically 10x it is really really remarkable and i marvel at it i thank you guys so much for your support uh keep 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 it up i appreciate it Tell your friends about Locked On Packers. Let them know what we're doing here. Let them know why you like being a part of this community. And I promise I will stop triggering your smart speakers. I got a note saying, please stop using the command because you're turning on my Google Home. I'm sorry, but please do use your smart speakers. Please do follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Please follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe. We post all of our content on Facebook. So never miss a post by liking us, by subscribing to the show. Have it be already on your phone when you look at it. 
on Spotify and Google Play. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to always stay Locked On Packers.